Thank you to Spectacular Interactive for sponsoring the Aim High Podcast. You can go check them out at spectacularinteractive.com. And begin your ground school today. Take care of it in a fun, online, interactive way, and it's a great way to learn how to fly. Do it on your own time. So on your online, you can do it on your computer, your iPad, your phone. It's a great way to begin your dream. And if you go there, type in Hangar Talk 14. Hangar Talk 14, no spaces. You get 20% off the retail price. So check it out, spectacularinteractive.com. podcast in 2013 we've got some great clips for you one of our most popular shows that we ever did was about fly camping and so here are some of the tips and tricks that erica will provide you for how to be a good fly camper the cool thing about fly camping is it's taking all of those fun things that you learned about for cross-country flying and then you combine it with going out and family camping or solo camping, whatever you enjoy doing, but you're getting out and outdoors, using your pilot skills, using your plane, having fun. And, uh, but a lot of people, even pilots are really surprised to learn that there are a number of places across the country where you can fly in and camp. And, uh, it's kind of a, a best kept secret there. And a lot of times those places allow you to camp right with the plane. Other times you have to go off site a little bit, uh, but are still close by to your plane. It seems to me part of the appeal of fly camping is, is that you can fly to an area that is, might be harder to get to, right? If that makes sense. Sure. Um, like fly, flying gives you some freedoms about where you can go, and, and sometimes that makes it easier to get to places that are a little bit tougher to get to. And exactly, because there's a couple of different modes about fly camping, and that's something that we'll talk about here. Because, you know, while some airports, you know, allow their uh, established airports and you, you pave runways and you fly in and you, there you fly, you camp with your plane, and uh, others are actually almost like a little mini resort that are dedicated to fly campers. The other scenario are these little backcountry strips, like what you're talking about, where you truly are. Uh, doing some bush flying to go out to these places and it is taking you further back in than you might be able to get on an average uh, backpacking trip and certainly farther you know more than you could do car camping and uh, I know that there are strips like that here in Utah and uh, so absolutely it gives you options that you just might not have otherwise my first thing is is if I was interested in in fly camping, like, I mean, what, what are, you know, you mentioned there's some considerations to take in and, and things like that. Like, how, how would you get ready for all that? Well, the first thing you want to do is uh, make sure that you yourself as a pilot in your plane are ready. Because uh, especially if you do decide to do some of those backcountry strips, uh, you need to be ready for unpaved fields. So they might be rocky, dirty, soft 
Um, so you've got to practice those soft field landing techniques. Make sure that your plane is ready. A lot of people, if it's a rocky field, they'll pull the wheel pants off of their tires, not get them all beat up. So <laughs> do that before the trip. Sure. <laughs> so that's some considerations. Also, um, like here in Utah, depending on where you're flying into, you might, it may be a mountainous terrain. And you don't just uh, fly in from Florida, rent a plane, and start flying out here. You want to make sure that you've gotten some instruction on mountain flying skills and that you are prepared to deal with that. So if you're coming into this area and you want to fly to some of the you know the remote locations and through these mountains, definitely make sure you're ready for that. Yeah, things like density altitude can really bite people if they don't know what they're doing if they're new to the mountains. Oh, yeah, that too out here, absolutely. And the wind currents over these mountains can uh, definitely play oh, havoc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, that's right. Yeah, that is a there, huge consideration. Some pretty good gusts. Yeah, so uh, that's definitely something to consider. The other thing that uh, will you know you have to think about because it's like car camping, and you just have this tendency to want to uh, throw everything in the kitchen sink into your plane, and you're bringing the family, and you want to bring that cast iron Dutch oven, and you want to bring the big bulky sleeping bag, and the next thing you know, you may have a weight and balance problem on your plane. So. Before you just uh, load up and get to the airport, you might want to start weighing some of that gear. Make sure you understand just how much you have packed and rethink um, your gear selection before you go, especially if you're filling all of your seats. You might not be able to fill all your seats if you do it car camping style. So that's something else to consider. And, uh, And the last thing is, especially going back to some of these backcountry strips, you need to think about the fact that they're not going to have any services. Nobody's going to come over and refuel your plane. <laughs> right. This isn't luxury, right? I mean, this isn't, uh, yeah. You know, there's. we'll cover it some other time because I'll, I will briefly tease and say that there are also fly-in spas. Ooh. <laughs> so I'm excited for that now. That's, that sounds good. <laughs> See, now, what is this, Keith? Because I'm, like, wanting to do the backcountry camping, <laughs> and you're getting psyched about the spas. <laughs> Are there airplanes with massage chairs for the, for the pond? <laughs> Um, yeah, no. Well, that, come on. That, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I'm not going to say it doesn't sound good. I mean, no, it sounds it's, good. it does. It, to me, it sounds pretty epic too to fly into a spa, and and there's whole lists of that. And and as we go forward, I'll dedicate a show to fly-in spas and oh, yeah. resorts and and the higher end. Uh, options that you can do for mm-hmm. your long weekends with maybe, your plane. Maybe we can convince people that in order to do the podcast, we gotta go do research. Oh yes, we gotta. You gotta. We gotta. Send, at least you. We gotta send you. You know, get, you get you, you get the experience. If a fly spa is out there and wants to invite us, yes, I wouldn't turn it down. We're we're happy so. to. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So, but uh, and, and also on lack of services, just keep in mind no water, most likely. So you're going to be lugging some jugs of water out there with you. Aviation made easy. All right, it still stands. If you'd like to invite us out, fly spas, we'll take you. All right, this next clip is uh, simply Erica's experience when she became a private pilot. For people who haven't become a pilot yet, the process may seem really um, intimidating. But the reality of it is becoming a private pilot, it's really about... um, 
following a set of steps, there's a path to success in that. Um, it's very much an achievable goal, and it's absolutely worthwhile. I mean, obviously, I've spent my entire, literally my entire adult life as a pilot, so I think it's worthwhile. But, um, you know, we're no special breed of human here. It's uh, it's totally attainable. So, you know. Just go to your local hangar. You'll find out that they're... <laughs> It's not a special Yeah, breed. well, you might find some really special humans hanging out <laughs> in some of the hangars at the airport. But, uh, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that sounds like a fun one. Yeah, you know, the special people that you will meet around the airport. I've met a few. And uh, and I will say my life has been richer because of them. Oh, good. But, uh, absolutely. So, so we'll kind of... You know, my experience with uh, getting into aviation, although I was young, which made it a little bit atypical, other than that, it was kind of a typical route into aviation. And so I'll relay that because I think it's a good example to use. I um, I was only 16, so we'll talk about the requirements here in a second. But I was only 16, and frankly, I was uh, looking to get in a little bit of trouble. And my dad was a private pilot, and he thought, let me send my daughter up for a discovery flight, which if you haven't heard what a discovery flight is, a lot of flight schools offer a, an inexpensive introductory flight that you can take just to get a taste of what it feels like to get in the air. Most times the instructor lets you fly the plane on that first discovery flight. So it's none of this, you know, just sit there and be taken for a tour. You go up in the plane and you start to learn. It's, it's kind of a, a real brief first lesson. Mm -hmm. They're setting the hook. Seriously set in the hook. I'll tell you, that's the best way to put it, because that's what happened to me. Dad sent me up for this discovery flight, and I was done. All of a sudden, all of the thoughts of partying and everything else that I thought of doing uh, went out the window, right. and, and I had eyes in the sky. All I wanted to do was, you know, get in an airplane. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. You, you, you hear about, you know, I haven't heard of people using aviation, right? It's always like, well, do you want to take up karate? Uh, yeah, or, <laughs> diversion <laughs> techniques for delinquent teenage that's, daughters, that's which right. I really wasn't all that delinquent. Right. I mean, honestly, my parents were the delinquents, oh. but <laughs> that's a whole, again, that's a whole another podcast. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, but no, you know, they just saw that I was, you know, starting to party a little more and stuff, and they yeah. thought, you know, let's send, let's send our girl to do this, and, no, and it was the right move, and it actually shaped my the rest of my entire life. That first discovery flight, and uh, and we did talk just briefly about the culture of aviation, but that was the next thing I discovered after that first flight was uh, how quickly the people at the local flight school rally around and become supportive and and help guide you and paint those steps out for you as to what's next. And if you're intimidated to take this, that first step into a flight school, don't be. You don't have to even know everything I'm going to tell you about today. If you're interested in flying, if you find a reputable flight school and just walk in, there's so many people there that love and are passionate about aviation. They're just going to wrap their arms around you and start showing you what to do. And, and that's that's key. That's so nice. You know, I, there's like I've, I've mentioned this before, but. Uh, there's so many things in life that it's like you know what I'm I'm gonna give that a shot you know and and it and it may be that the you know people are, are exclusive about it and they want to say ah, we don't we don't want you there or whatever but you know from every indication from everything I've seen what you just said is absolutely true you show up and everyone's going to be excited about you being there yeah exactly so I mean really. 
you could almost turn this podcast off right now if you're interested in learning to fly and just go down to the local flight school because the reality of it is you don't need to be intimidated you will be walked through the process and it's very attainable and that's the one thing you really need to take away today aviation made easy all right so there you have it go visit the flight school you'll be taken in they'll put you in their arms okay hopefully not maybe (laughs) anyway uh great great uh information and uh if you have a wily kid out there maybe just maybe they need to take some flight lessons begin their process of becoming a private pilot getting that certificate all right this next one that we're going to play uh is erica talking uh, more about cross-country flights so next chunk of time three hours across country and this is cool because yeah well it's the part you want to do nobody goes into aviation so that they can fly in the pattern for, yeah <laughs> you know i'm just gonna fly in the pattern for my entire aviating career exactly so cross country you know when you do that those first cross countries with your flight instructor this is going to be like the first time that you at the controls take off from one airport and go and land the plane at another airport and you planned it all and you looked for the checkpoints and you figured the fuel and you checked the weather and filed the flight plan and hopefully remembered to close the flight plan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a really cool instructor, she knows where the good breakfast spots are just, you know, in <laughs> route for your cross country. Like I would do. Um, <laughs> so. You sure you want to go there? <laughs> They've got this place. Yeah. You know, they, they maybe you want to land here. Yeah. Have you maybe tried, I want you to have land you here. tried the breakfast at Ocala. Cause uh, yeah, So, um, you know, it's a cool feeling, though, because this is all that ground school stuff that we were just kind of cringing at a little bit ago. But you're putting it together in the practical application in the airplane and planning your flight, actually reading the weather reports, working the wind corrections, flying the course for real up in the plane and seeing when you arrive at your destination that it all worked. Yeah. Right. And that's the that and that's the whole freedom of it. Right. I mean, that's the exciting part of aviation. Yeah. And so that's why you got to put it all together and get there and finish right. it out and all that stuff. So as you're struggling through ground school, folks, go and, and remember that you're going to be putting this together in the airplane. You really are going to use this information. Yeah. And and get a little pumped about some of the stuff that seems abstract on the ground because you're going to use it. Right. So mo- not all of it, but most of it you're going to use. Aviation made easy. I love that Erica just admitted that you're not going to use everything. <laughs> <laughs> she is awesome. What a gem. Uh, so this next one is a story of her. She actually took a flight review with her CFI, getting ready for her check flight, check ride. And uh, anyway, it didn't go so well. Uh, have a listen. When I went to get ready for that check ride, I was doing my review, doing a review flight different didn't not necessarily because it was required hour wise but i was doing a review flight with my instructor and and uh we go up and go through everything that we think could be checked by the examiner and uh and it was a horrible day just absolutely awful review day if i could mess anything up i did it's awful and uh (laughs) 
Just, we land. You were off. Yeah. I was completely off. Yeah. So my instructor is one of these really stoic people, not even, you know, not, no boisterous sense of humor or anything else. And he just looked at me and he said, you know, I have this theory that any item that you mess up on your review flights that uh, you'll nail on your check ride. And he just looked at me so deadpan and he goes, you're going to nail your entire check ride. <laughs> <laughs> Positivity. Yeah, because I had fouled my entire review. <laughs> wow. So, so, yeah, you know, it's uh, just a little story there. It was off, but he was right, huh? And I nailed my check ride. <laughs> so for those, uh, <laughs> for those of you students that, you know, on your reviews, you're feeling a little disheartened, probably because of nerves of knowing that you have the check ride coming up. Don't, don't uh, let that get to you. So now after the review... I'm assuming I know Erica a little bit here. You uh, probably stressed over that. Yeah, I was kind of sick to my stomach. <laughs> and uh, I'm guessing you spent quite a quite a lot of time getting ready. Well, no, those were my final flights, so I was done flying until I saw the examiner. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So, so. But you you were practicing in your head and doing yes, all that. Yes, definitely thinking stuff. through all the things that I fouled up, which was the entire thing. <laughs> um, you know, at that point, it was just kind of uh, I just had to relax, to be honest, because there was only so much I could think of, uh, and it was overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, well, and and so that's the that's the thing that I'm you know. Maybe it was a good thing. Maybe it ended up being okay. But it did. people need to turn it turn it in, you know. Right, you know, it just I, I can say that, you know, it uh, don't put too much weight in your performance on your review because I did turn around and have, you know, no problems on the check ride. So it uh, I pulled it out. <laughs> well, the worst had already happened, basically. Yes, I had I had experienced my humiliation and that deadpan <laughs> look of my flight instructor. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Yes. <laughs> you think he went home and drank? I'm not sure. He's like, there goes my pass rate. <laughs> Aviation made easy. Things always work out, right? You just got to work at it a little bit. Anyway, uh, we also, uh, speaking of things always working out, we had Mike Kennedy, who is like the most interesting dude ever. He was on our show. He is uh, one of the stars of Airplane Repo, uh, which you can find on Discovery Channel. He came in and did an awesome podcast. That's a fast 45 minutes if you listen to it. It is really fun, and uh, we had a really good time with Mike Kennedy. Uh, we had him on the show, and we had, for a guy that goes and takes a lot of risks and has been doing airplane repo work for a long time, we had the opportunity to ask him about the worst repo experience that he has ever had. What was probably your most memorable repo? I went to uh, Bogota to pick up it was uh, insurance recovery it, it was a stolen airplane and the uh, the Colombian government the army had had confiscated it and uh, I had to go down there and take that and what a, what a mess that was I ended up in just all kinds of problems down there it took us about a week to get the airplane airworthy and it took uh, just the negotiating with, with the Colombian government, I mean, basically you're having to bribe everybody, and, and uh, I, I just didn't think we'd ever get out of there. And when we finally did, the airplane was just barely flyable. I mean, it had bad tires and broken windows. There was no interior in it, just wires hanging out of the ceiling and stuff. And uh, <coughs> we finally 
got out of there and I was along the north coast of Columbia around Santa Marta and we had uh, an electrical fire up behind the instrument panel, a whole cockpit filled up with smoke. So uh, I, I made a hard left turn and went around the mountain there and landed in Barranquilla. And I was real relieved to touch down, but if I'd have realized what I was running into, I'd have probably just ditched that damn thing in the ocean because the soldiers met us, jerked us out of the airplane, had us on the ground with rifles in the back of our head. They stu- there was dogs in the plane. and I, It was the first time I'd ever done any of this that I truly was really worried because I had no idea what that airplane had been used for. And when they started ripping it apart with dogs and stuff, I mean, it had been stolen. It was down there in those jungles. Who knows what was going on or what they were going to find. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that was a real nerve-wracking problem. And, uh, was there communication uh, problems? Yeah, you know, this was back in, uh, like, early 90s, and it was amazing to me. There was, even then, there wasn't much Internet or anything going on then, but the lack of communication, because, I mean, we had all the documents, uh, customs clearances, flight wires, ferry permits, everything to move that airplane, and all it would have taken would be a couple of phone calls to verify that. But it was like we were on a different continent, not just across the mountain range. I mean, they just didn't communicate with their own government at all. And they were determined that we had either stolen the airplane or we were drug runners or something. It really got ugly. Uh, I did manage to get one phone call out. And I knew it was going to take a lot of phone calls, so I called Valerie rather than calling anybody back in Bogota, I just told her what was going on, and she was going to have to take it and run with it. So she was pretty scared. And then on top of that, before I ended the phone call, and I, I said, and you need to jump in the car and go to Miami, because I've got a shipment of King Cobras coming in from Malaysia tonight, and somebody's <laughs> got to meet that airplane, because you can't leave those Cobras just sitting in a customs warehouse. And <laughs> so... That was a whole other story in itself because the, the customs brokers in Miami were not happy about having to clear a crate full of king cobras. You think? Customs, <laughs> <laughs> and Valerie wasn't happy about having to go and retrieve them. And they were big king cobras, too. They were like 15 feet long. There's five of them. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a very memorable trip. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> they had me locked up. Look, I was only locked up for a week, so it wasn't too bad, because some people disappeared down there for years. But it was still enough to be pretty scary. Would you do yeah. a recovery out of there again? Oh, I have since then, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aviation made easy. <laughs> uh, you have got to listen to the entire airplane repo uh, podcast with Mike. We talk about how he, you know, gives antibiotics to a 15 foot crocodile or whatever, and uh, 800 pound croc. He he's uh, quite the guy, you know. Motorcycle stunt man. He uh, saves and is involved with exotic animal rescue, and uh, of course he does these uh, airplane flights. He's a private pilot for a lot of people, and then of course now he's a. Uh, a reality television star on Airplane Repo, which you can find on Discovery Channel. Uh, had a great time with him. Uh, and then we also had the opportunity to have Nate Myers. Uh, he is an air traffic controller, and he's at Centennial Airport in Colorado. Had the opportunity to pick his brain a little bit about uh, the way ATC uh, feels about pilots. We also had uh, a chance to hear from Mark. He tells a great story 
uh, which I've entitled Mark versus ATC. What we call the airport that we can blame everything on? Timbuk. Um, it's called Timbuktini. Timbuk uh, Tango, Tini. Bravo, Tango. Yeah, so I was flying over the, the fictitious airport Timbuktini, which has a uh, uh, altitude of 9,000 feet is the top of the airspace, and I'm cruising uh, southwest bound, VFR, and I'm going to transition over this Bravo airspace on my way to my destination, and I'm in a hurry. I got off to a late start, and I'm in a, a small aerobatic plane, <clears throat> and I'm giving it everything she's got uh, to try to get to my appointment on time. And as I'm coming along, I'm at 12,500 feet VFR. I know their space goes up to 9,000 feet, but I know they have a lot of traffic. So as a courtesy, I called out on a frequency I'm very familiar with, as I, I've been there a lot, and called in, checked in, VFR, and I even specifically said, VFR transitioning over your airspace, because sometimes controllers will say cleared through airspace and you're kind of grinning because, you know, through it, I'm, I'm 2,000 feet under it or I'm 4,000 feet above it, but okay. Um, but I specifically said transitioning over your airspace at 12,500 feet VFR if you needed anything. And it was courtesy check-in. They gave me a, a squat code. I put it in the box and uh, verified location altitude, and, and I continued. And then this controller gets on. And he says, uh, two wait, Mike, Papa, I need a right 360 for spacing. And I'm in a hurry, um, but I'm willing to, to oblige. And so I make a right 360. But by the nature of my hurry, I made it a tight right 360. <laughs> I didn't make it a two-minute kind of a turn. It was more like half that. Uh, so I could get on my way. And so as I'm making that 360, I'm looking at my traffic on board. I've got both a interrogating traffic system. So my airplane's interrogating and get its own traffic data. And I had a mode S transponder, which is updating to another screen the traffic that I'm getting from this control center. So I see all the aircraft around me. And as I'm coming out of that 360, I know exactly the airplane he was spacing me from. They're now 3,000 feet above. And there's nothing else in my way, but as I finish the turn, the controller gets back on, and he was so mad. I mean, this guy was... Talk about hearing and seeing the anger through your headset, right? I mean, I could see him blowing his top, and he says, 208 Mike Papa. I asked for a right 360 for spacing. How about you give me three of them this time? <gasps> And I, I just, I almost complied, and I thought, he's just being a jerk. And I just got back on, and it said, negative, squawking VFR above your airspace, continuing on my own. And I hit the VFR button and just continued direct towards my destination. And the radios went quiet, and I thought, wow, that's like... I think that's as close to giving someone the bird as you can in aviation. <laughs> yeah. Right? And um, so before I finish the rest of the story, because it doesn't stop there, Nate, your thoughts at this point? Uh, I, uh, as a pilot as well, would have done the very thing that you did. Yeah. Terminated my services. Thank you for not helping. I'm smoking via far. Thank you for not helping. <laughs> yeah. So, because if if you're VFR, it's a it's a courtesy to have even checked in, and it's not required. So, you're VFR. Don't trade paint. That's your rules. 
Is, you don't know, trade boys, D and D scene. That's a great quote. Play don't nice with pain. others, and that's it. To have done the first 360 was over the top for a controller anyway. I, I think personally, to, to to try and be super godlike controller and okay, that you want to do it that way, then we're doing it this way now. Right. So, yeah, I would have. You know, Roger that. Squawk and be afar. Free change approved. I'm monitoring guard. See ya. Okay, to finish the story. So I, I give him the proverbial bird by hitting the 1200 and continue on my way. And uh, about five minutes later, uh, I, so I gave him, I kind of, I, I hit VFR, continued on my way, and then a different controller was instantly on the radio and southwest, blah, 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 this heading, this altitude, delta, blah, 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 this heading, this altitude, and kind of took care of business for a minute. And then um, when the radios went quiet and kind of they were done with that kind of that push, um, I hear this 208 mic pop up. Are you still on frequency? And I, and I got, Roger, still monitoring. Hey, could you meet me over on this other frequency for a minute? Sure. So I transferred over. And he gets on. He says, hey, uh, sure, sorry about how that controller handled you. And I just wanted to let you know that I, I, I took him from his desk and, and had him go cool off for a second. I'm like, wow, he must have really Whoa. been flipping out. In, wow. in his wherever he was at, he says, I told him to go cool off for a bit. He says, I looked up your tail number, and, and I hope you're not offended by that, but I see that you fly a lot, and your your aircraft is, is on a lot. You obviously um, know what you're doing, and, and I appreciated that you called it as a courtesy, and you didn't need to, and you did that, and I, I just wanted to ask you one question. I mean, this is like, he had to key the mic a second time, because his little, you know, his little intro speech to me was long enough that he had to rekey his mic, you know. Uh, he got that cut mic cut off, right? And so he finishes up. He says, can I ask you one question? I said, absolutely. He says, in the future, could you please continue to do just like you did? And uh, we know you don't have to talk to us as you transition over our airspace. And we just don't want you to give up on us as controllers. It's really helpful when you call in for that transition over our airspace and I'm, I'm just hoping that you won't you won't give up on us on how you were treated because of how you were treated and you'll give us a second shot wow yeah I love it I was I was blown away and quite frankly and and in full disclosure relieved because for about five minutes there I was going okay I'm pretty sure I was I'd within full right to, to squawk be a bar and say no <laughs> you know? but I worried I was worried there for about five minutes but how neat and what a testament to the manager to pull that guy off the radio and say, hey, out of line. And it was, I thought it was neat that he, he looked all that up and, and that he was mal enough to apologize. So yeah, that's, that's huge. great. And that other controller just picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. Aviation made easy. <laughs> Erica throwing down the airplane reference at the end. Oh, I love that. Uh, great story there. Also uh, wanted to do one other clip from that show. I thought that was a really great show uh, that we did. And uh, this one is going to be called What Agitates ATC the Most? Nate, what, what agitates you the most as a controller? What I mean, there's because I can tell by the way you talk and the fact that you're a pilot that by nature you are sympathetic and empathetic. 
um, yeah. to pilots. My, my uh, well, I guess one of my pet peeves is when you can tell just by the, the clutter on the radio that it's busy. It's people are moving. There's pushing ten, whatever you want to call it. There's people going places, and and I guess it's, it's a two way thing. It's one with instructors that are with students when they still let the student dig a huge hole. The student needs it read back again and again. They read back the wrong runway. Now I'm talking to them again. I spend six or seven transmissions when I know perfectly well they there's understand. an instructor sitting right beside them that could easily just key up and correct it and then teach it on the ground. Right. It's not the time to teach when it's that busy. It's, it's time you can still fly the plane and learn all those great lessons, but if you want to learn radio communications at the busy airports, it's just not the time. That's, and, a, that's and, some great advice for our listeners. That's really good. It, and, and the same goes even for um, for commercial flights. It's the, the say again. I, I, I don't mind clarifications. I love clarifications because those will save me when I say something that I shouldn't have said and just, oh, just to confirm, just to clarify for whomever you're going to. And I like that because, you know what, maybe that get, like if I don't tell someone traffic on finals for the parallel, if you ask me, hey, just to confirm that guy on a short final is for the parallel, oh, absolutely, you know, because what if, what if I would have forgotten that? You know, you saved me, and you also saved yourself, and, and you actually checked finals, which is awesome. But it's, it's like if you need to put someone in position and hold, and you're, you're just talking to 10, 12 guys in a three-mile ring, and you look back, you're getting the runway clear, and you go back to clear this guy for takeoff, and he's nowhere to be found, and you're looking down the runway, did he take off on his own? Is worried. I got eight guys waiting to go. Where's where's this one Cessna? That there's all Cessnas out there. They might all be Citations. They're all you know similar aircraft. And you're like, where did this where did this guy go? And then you talk to him again. He's still at the hold bars. Well, now you can't get him out in front of a Hawker on a five mile final because you got to get him onto the runway again. So that 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 hole in space is now wasted. So now it, the efficiency's just gone worse. And now you have two more guys that need to depart that are behind the eight guys that are already waiting. And those little bitty holes, those two or three second time savers, make the world of difference in air traffic. Saving a second here and a second there absolutely is the world of difference in air traffic. So, like, if you go with someone, and, like, I, and I've done it actually yesterday, I <coughs> position and hold, he read it back to me perfectly. Uh, to me, that's art good. I, I look and I divide my attention to other aircraft. I go back to claim for takeoff. He's nowhere to be found. And I go back at him again, position hold, uh, Roger, I'm uh, still at the hold bars. Roger, hold short of the runway. Now now I've got to get that read back, <laughs> heaven forbid. So it's just those, those little repeats just are, and having to make the same transmission more than once to the same aircraft, It is that's when you should be talking to other planes, not that same one over and over and over. And those get, those get really redundant and, and very, very agitating to a lot of controllers, and especially me because I know that, you know, if, if I know it's busy, you, you turn the music off. You, you tell the, the people in the plane to be quiet. Your your whole job is to listen to the controller to get across the runway or to take the runway, wherever it may be. It's not time to, to have the chatter going and all that and all that. So there's, there's just no reason. Yeah, ins for it. instructors, uh, avoid instructing at the hold short bars absolutely let's let's absolutely. get let's get airborne let's do what we're doing while we're doing it and right now we're instructing on handling the aircraft on and off the ground so how about let's get on and off the ground and yeah. uh, off the instruction soapbox yeah because if you're taught if you're if you're being <coughs> instructed and you're the student and the instructor talks to you the whole time at the hold bar well when that student becomes a private pilot and his girlfriend sitting next to him what are they going to do the whole time at the hold bar 
the same thing his instructor did with him the whole time at the whole bar and talk. And they're not listening to the radio. That, it's not that he's taught specifically to do that. It's just that's like muscle memory. He just that's what he's always done at the whole bars. Aviation made easy. All right. So don't do that. Sterile cockpit. Don't make them read back. <laughs> don't agitate the ATC. They're there to help you pilots. All right. Uh, that was uh, a great podcast. Uh, highly suggest listening to that. Uh, we did one with John Perner, uh, the man behind the $100 hamburger books and the website. And uh, when we had him on, uh, we had a, a nice conversation and uh, afterwards, uh, I was talking with Erica about, <laughs> about uh, you know, different places that she's gone, some of her favorite places, and uh, she tried to tell me about a place that I guess really caught my imagination. Of course, we know I love to fly camp, but I also kind of like that, you know, romantic weekend getaway sure. at a and b that, and uh, I have been to one that was a fly-in B&B called um, Chalet Suzanne, Ooh. which is in uh, in Florida. I didn't actually I don't get know to what that there. noise was. Yeah, what was that? I apologize. Exactly. I don't know. There's nothing that exciting about Chalet Suzanne. Is that what was it called? Yeah, Chalet oh. Suzanne. It's kind of a quirky property. Mm-hmm. I didn't stay there, but I did go in for breakfast, which they have amazing food. Food. And I and and my husband at the time had uh, yeah don't start laughing um, had stayed there and said the rooms were very kind of quirky and Scandinavian themed but it was it was a cool place I'm down with Scandinavian themed aviation made easy oh <laughs> uh, uh, anyway and then uh, the last thing that we'll play for you on this is uh, a, a great NTSB report in which I uh, got to touch on something that was a little bit traumatic. This just in from the National Transportation Safety Board. September 9th, 2004, Nashua, New Hampshire. A Cessna 182 was involved in a non-fatal incident, at least to humans. Oh no, I don't want to hear about animals getting hurt. (laughs) A 48-year-old pilot completed a, a local sunset flight and was returning to the airport at night. While the airplane was in the landing flare, it struck eight geese. Oh. The pilot was able to complete the landing. However, both wings were substantially damaged. The National Transportation Safety Board determined. Both wings on the plane or the geese? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that the probable cause of this accident uh, to be an in-flight collision with birds while landing. Uh, the factor was the night conditions. Okay. You know, I have nothing to say other than we need a moment of silence for the geese. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the the thing is, is eight of them was what struck me. I've heard of bird strikes, of course. They, yeah, of course I've, were, I've had one. Yeah. You've had a bird strike. Yeah. It was tragic uh-huh. for the bird and for me, my emotional state at the time. Yeah. Yes. If you didn't know anything about aviation, you'd just be like, what? The birds like are refusing to lay eggs? They're striking? Really? Seriously? <laughs> Keith? That's uh, it. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, I have an opening for a producer. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, no, but one of the things that I got thinking about is, is like um, uh, Elmer Fudd. 
Yeah, really? yeah. Because well, think about this. Like Elmer Fudd is always out hunting, right? Oh and, gosh, and, yes. And he never gets anything. And your airplane gets eight at once. He gets eight at once. This it's is like bowling. It's sort of like when when people go fishing and they drop the dynamite down. That old joke, oh, you know. That old joke. I think that used to happen. I, yeah. But anyway, the the long and short is this is uh, this is kind of the Elmer Fudd way of hunting. Just take down eight <gasps> geese on your way down. <laughs> Oh, seriously? <laughs> this is awful. I don't like where this podcast is going today. I'm, so, I'm a bird lover. I, I am going to. I think it's a shame. After by this. the way, you know, the eight geese, it's bad. But, the, you know, as an aviator, you know, you, the real shame should be that the plane got so beat up. I'm sorry. I'm still all about the geese. But, really? But, you know. Wait, um, is there anything you can do, though, in that scenario? I mean, I feel like know, with eight, he's the... trying to do it. He's trying to hit well, geese at you that know, point. No, I would guess that they were probably roosting on the runway. You know, they probably had all settled in there together in one little group. And then as the plane landed, they got scared and flew up. There's probably one of the, those that you'd say couldn't see it coming, literally. Yeah. Um, bird strikes, however, are, are a common occurrence, especially in Florida. We have so much bird life. And you have to be vigilant when you can be, when you can see, you really need to watch the runways and, and the area for for birds. And um, birds that are scared tend to dive. So tend, you know, do try to, if you see a big group of them in flight, don't try to go under, go over side to side, mm-hmm. avoid as much as possible. But um, And unfortunately, there are times when you simply will hit a bird. And at that point, it's critical to just maintain control of the airplane, no matter, you know, how tragic the scene is unfolding in front of you. Um, (laughs) How gross was it when you had your bird strike? Was it pretty gross? It was pretty gross. Did it hit the prop or the wing? No, it hit the strut. I was in a 172 and it hit the the wing strut and then kind of got pinned there (laughs) by the airflow. And I had to kind of shake it off. And it was absolutely sad. I just um, don't, don't laugh, Keith. It was really tragic. It is. He's what laughing. Of, what, folks. Bird, what bird? Was you it? should see him. He's like turning red. He's trying to hold in the laugh. What, <laughs> it what, was an egret. Is an egret? Yes. Mm-hmm. So aviation made easy. So there you have it. Year one of the Aim High podcast is in the sound bank. And uh, you can, of course, check it out anytime. It's always up and available for you at aimhigh.com. You can just click on podcast, check it all out. Uh, you know, if you've uh, appreciated the show, if you have suggestions of the show, people that you think should be guests, uh, if you have any questions, comments, anything for us, uh, you're always welcome uh, to get in touch with us. Uh, Erica is very open to all that. So you can reach her on Twitter. She's at act- active underscore explorer. Uh, also at Erica F. Wiggins. Uh, you can get in touch with uh, me at uh, at aim, A-M-E underscore high on Twitter. Also, uh, you can just email us at Keith at aimhigh.com or Erica at aimhigh.com. Uh, also, if you have questions for Mark, we can pass those along if needed. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you know, we, uh, we've had a blast doing this. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to bring you many more great episodes and uh, tailwinds to all of you. 
Thank you for listening to the Aim High Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Aim underscore High and like us on Facebook. And if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes. We know you have many choices when it comes to your podcast, and we thank you for choosing ours. When you're learning how to fly, aim high. Aviation made easy. Also wanted to give one more shout out to my man, Ronald Jankies. He provides the music for our show, and uh, he is awesome. You can check him out at ronaldjankies.com. Uh, you can also find his new album came out last just uh, during 2013. Uh, you can find that on iTunes and uh, hear a bunch of awesome instrumentals on there, including uh, the theme to our show. So check out Ronald Jenkins, and uh, we appreciate him uh, graciously giving us his music. One final reminder, go check out SpectacularInteractive.com. Spectacular Interactive are our partners. They're providing ground school to any student pilot in the United States who wants to get ready for that FAA exam and understand all that they'll need to know to be a safe pilot. It is online, it is fun, it is interactive, and there is so much for you to check out on spectacularinteractive.com if you go there today check that out and type in hangar talk 14 in the promotional code at checkout you get 20% off not bad always good to save a little scratch 20% off if you type in hangar talk 14 in the promotion code box there's no spaces in that and of course hangar is like an airplane hangar h-a-n-g-a-r so hangar talk 14 gets you 20 percent off on the most interactive dynamic fun entertaining way to learn how to fly begin your dreams becoming a pilot today by going to spectacularinteractive.com and we'll see you in the skies very soon